welcome to another wonderful, extra special, extracurricular episode of Normandy FM. As always, I'm one of your co-hosts, Eric Van Allen, alongside my co-host, Kenneth Shepard. How are you doing today? I'm so stoked to talk about Dragon Age's treatment of Hawk. <laughs> it's finally time. It's it's. There's so much time, there's so much content to talk about. That for once we do not have a guest this week. We've been having a lot of guests over the last few weeks, but we decided that, you know, it's a main story mission. Let's have a discussion. Just you and me. Just just the two of us. And Poe. Poe is joining in as well. <laughs> um, yeah, today we are doing Here Lies the Abyss, uh, which we haven't done a main story quest in a long time, have we, Ken? No, we should probably like give a little bit of a recap of what we actually like got us to this point because we just kind of like started the main plot and then kind of dropped it for about a month so yeah so up to this point okay corypheus bad inquisitor good uh so it probably bears repeating at this point that the way we gained our powers was through kind of a botched ritual that corypheus tried to undertake using the sacrifice of divine justidia and that whole thing went down at the conclave off in a secret <laughs> side room somewhere which i still find is just the damn funniest thing in the world <laughs> um like there's just a little hall off on the side somewhere where where Caribius can do blood magic um but we we are also kind of considered the herald of andraste because people who saw us coming out of the why do I suddenly forget the name of it? The the giant hole the in rift. the sky. The, <laughs> the rift. The, <laughs> like I, I didn't want to give it the name the that breach. I've been giving it. <laughs> the preach. Oh. Um, <laughs> the, when they saw us coming out of the breach, uh, they thought they saw uh, Andraste herself. You know, the kind of divine cleric of... I don't know, she's kind of like the Jesus of the Chantry, I guess. Close enough. Is, close enough yeah mortal person became a saint all that holy woman of the church um they thought they saw andraste behind us as we left the breach um keep all of that in mind as we go into here lies the abyss which is the first kind of major story mission we have following our move to Skyhold, and it starts with something we've already talked about, which is the fact that Hawk is is here. Hawk's hanging out. Uh, Varric reveals that he did indeed have contact with Hawk and was able to uh, rope them in. And we we already talked a little bit about you know importing Hawk and and the weirdness there um, that kind of persists throughout this whole mm-hmm. uh, mission. I would say is this weirdness because my Hawk is looks kind of right but not completely right (laughs) um Mm. and i'm even using the default which kind of says something uh i mean there's an engine jump and like they don't dragon age 2 and inquisition don't look anything like each other anyway so right right um that being said so that's that's kind of one of the main focal pillar characters of this mission and the other one is a gray warden who we have to go to crestwood to meet and once we meet them in a cool little cave in Crestwood, uh, we meet one of three characters. Mm-hmm. Um, so, depending on choices made up to this point, if 
Loghain was sent to the Grey Wardens in Origins. Loghain will be the Grey Warden here. Uh, if Alistair was not made king, but remained a Grey Warden, you know, didn't have the kind of really sad ending where he's like uh, uh, homeless in Dragon Age 2 and all that, but he's still a Grey Warden and all that, um, he will be here. Otherwise, it is Stroud, the character from Dragon Age 2 who is kind of like the requisite uh, Grey Warden there. He's the one that you encounter if your sibling is... Uh, if you have to end up making your sibling a Grey Warden by bringing mm. them along on the mission and all that. Uh, and he also shows up, no matter what, at the end of Dragon Age 2 when there's that big fight in the city uh, and kind of represents the Grey Wardens there. So already up front, Bioware is kind of presenting these two characters that we know and somewhat theoretically love uh, <laughs> and, and kind of putting them at odds with putting them at odds with each other let's say because mm, uh yeah the the general idea of what we're doing here is that hawk has been tracking the gray wardens believes that there's something up believes that corypheus is corrupting them and when we meet the gray warden we our fears are confirmed uh corypheus has his influence has somehow infiltrated the gray wardens uh the the warden commander clorel uh, has been summoning all the wardens to Orle in this like last minute ditch to to end all blights forever. Uh, they kind of have this <laughs> crazy plan about how they're just gonna run into the the uh, the, the deep roads uh, <laughs> because they're all hearing the calling, which is right. as as we'll remember from Origins, is that uh, basically come die <laughs> thing. Right. Uh, so they're all panicking. Uh, so there's some blood magic going on there's some demon stuff happening where they're making a demon army and our our warden friend who i guess for both of us it is stroud right right yeah um mm. is, is is concerned obviously concerned about what's been going on yeah. so from the outset ken great wardens are kind of in a weird place in this game yeah uh, like I understand we talked earlier with the the kind of branching missions that we have for the mages and the templars how that felt like bioware trying to wrap up a conflict this mission feels like bioware trying to wrap up the very concept of the blight and gray wardens themselves mm -hmm. all in one yeah. fell swoop in a way that does not necessarily feel very deft <laughs> if yeah. that makes sense uh how are it's, you feeling about it mm i feel it like i i got i got a lot of feelings on a lot of fronts here um for one thing yeah like it it feels like inquisition has like both both this and the mage and templar stuff from before it is trying to wrap up plot lines of past games in ways that don't feel there's not like a level of ceremony that i think they deserve and Especially when you're you know, you view them through the eyes of a character who wasn't even there for any of the stuff and like gets to be put in like a position of power there in a way that doesn't feel earned and I so, so let me let me ask you this how do you feel about having Stroud be the representative of this stuff for the wardens 
So, I definitely, I'm of two minds about it. One is, I think the way that this quest is structured, just the way it's built, almost, and this is complete, utter speculation on my part, to be absolutely clear. I have no reason to believe that this is the case. But the fact that it's Hawk and, and the decision that you, the conflict that you kind of get presented with throughout this mission almost makes me think like they were considering having it mm-hmm. be the two former player characters. Yep, that was like, exactly my feeling too. Pitting the war, like your warden against your Hawk. Um, yeah. Which would have been cool. Like, I feel which like I been, might, have, like... might have enjoyed this a little bit more if that was the case. Because... Yeah, and I think it just. Mm. I was just gonna like, say because this yeah. your warden is like a more natural because the character that you end up with kind of gets posed as like a senior ranking official within the wardens mm-hmm. and a person that has pull and leverage and all that you know Alistair Stroud uh, Logan I could totally maybe not Logan but um, I could totally believe that these you know they've been around a while you know Alistair mm-hmm. specifically like helped end a blight and all that so I could understand yeah. that they would have pull within the wardens so but stroud specifically as a character has kind of just briefly been in the series yeah and doesn't really have like the established clout of the other two right so in that way like whether whether this was always their plan whether it was like you know they just kind of got to the point where they're like well we cannot simulate as many because it's it would be really hard there's a lot of different origins and cosmetic details and stuff like that it would have been a significant undertaking to make that happen right uh so but stroud ends up i mean not to skip to the end of the page here but he ends up feeling like an acceptable sacrifice in that way yeah it's like oh hey cool a character i don't care as much about yeah and it gets into like a weird a weird feeling that i have like i think i've mentioned it at some point in all of these episodes um there's a weird like meta layer of a lot of decisions that happen in Dragon Age when you come to a point where you've got this new character that you're playing as that gets inserted into conflicts that they have no place in where you as the player have like an investment in characters and plot lines that the main character doesn't really have any reason to um Mm -hmm. that maybe like if you were to put you know Stroud up as like this possible like person who has to lead the Grey Wardens out of what's about to happen here um, you know, that maybe makes more sense for him to be the character that you, like, again, I don't want to skip straight to the end, but, like, the character that you feel is maybe necessary to kind of, like, patch things up after all this is going on, but then there's me, Kenneth Shepard, the person who has played all these games, that sees Hawk and is like, I love that boy. That is my, that is my uh-huh. character, that or that is one of my characters that I, like, have a great attachment to who I have that personal attachment to that in- informs the decisions that I make. Um, and I think the only way that you can really, really could have simulated like something that felt equal, like there was at least like a, the possibility for like equal emotional investment was if it had been the warden, like the, the player character of the warden instead. And like we said, that, that would have been a massive undertaking. I, I don't, I don't necessarily blame Bioware for like maybe picking the easier path, but like if they had made, managed to pull that off, that like that would have made. I I, I think I would have still come come away from the series of missions with like a 
a lot of the same issues I still have with it. But it would have made the moment, I think, kind of, like, unprecedented in a way that, mm-hmm. um, like, just this really grueling decision that Bioware just puts in front of you. Um, and I think, like, the only way that you can really find that is if, like, maybe say you were a person that in Origins romanced Alistair. Like, you have that same level of investment in that character, and he's the one that you have here. Um, mm. But we'll, yeah, we'll unpack that as we go on, yeah. I feel like Alistair is really the only case in this where you have somebody that has that Hawk level attachment. Cause like right. Alistair is a pretty beloved character in the series. And, yeah. Um, especially if he's in a place where he can be present here, he is still like someone he probably cared about enough to, to want to cater yeah. to the things he wanted to be, which is here. So, right. Um, it's worth mentioning at this point, I think, did you bring Blackwall along for for these for this mission specifically? I did, and I I know he's supposed to have like uh, additional dialogue. I don't really, I didn't really feel like I got anything that was like super substantial or meaningful. I purposely did not bring him along because I was like, oh well, I think in this case my character would be like, hey, if Grey Wardens are getting corrupted and turning against people, maybe I shouldn't walk Blackwall into that. <laughs> mm, um, that's fair. Yeah. Um, it is also important to note, um, with cert- with regards to the way this plays out, um, if we have done the mission, so a- after we talk to them, we get investigate the Western approach, and we have to go to the Western approach, which is maybe one of the other things that frustrates me about the way this mission is generally structured, is you kind of have to, it's like they're leading you to unlock these areas that you should be doing things in, because, you know, Crestwood has its own uh, big plot line with uh, retaking it for and mm-hmm. getting rid of the undead that are underneath the lake and all that and dealing with the mayor of Crestwood who did these like abominable things I think we talked about it briefly in a previous episode but um, kind of feels like this mission was intentionally split between two locations just so they'd be like oh well you have to unlock these locations uh, you should be doing that mm-hmm. use your power unlock locations um, so we have to unlock the western approach but if we talk to our warden friend uh, and then go back to Skyhold, and we have already completed Wicked Eyes and Wicked Hearts, which is what we are not doing. We are doing that mission later. But if we had done that already, uh, a certain... I mean, we'll just, we'll just say it. I, I, don't, uh, I mean... Do we want to say... There's special, what if, what there's if we put a pen in this? Okay, there's a special conversation that can occur where your warden pal comes back to skyhold and is talking to people um somebody that we'll talk about in a few weeks what maybe let's save that conversation for then yeah yeah you're right you're right you're right um but once we head off to the western approach we get to this ritual tower which is where good things happen all the time Mm. and we we find some asshole again maybe one of my other problems with this game in general um, is that a lot of the cronies don't get the exposition to make me give a shit about them. Mm-hmm. So, like, this asshole, Aramond, uh, I don't know if he showed up at all in your side of things with the mage stuff. Yeah, he did. Uh, he does? Okay. Yeah. For me, I was like, who the fuck is this guy? <laughs> um, this mustachioed asshole. Um yeah but yeah for on, on the templar side so maybe that is just like a substantial difference that depending on which one you play you're gonna have more context for certain parts of the game versus others 
But uh, I actually did mean to mention that I have a special quest, I think, from Leliana that is... It's either, like, special or, like, just much more pertinent to the Templar side of things that I'm meaning to play. I think I'm going to save it for the Leliana episode, but mm, okay. um, I didn't even know that mission existed in that way. I'm very excited to play it later. Mm. Um, but Aramond is kind of... So they have this weird thing where they're like, okay, well, we were splitting the Grey Wardens up into the Warriors and the Mages, and we blood sacrifice the warriors which creates mm. a demon that the mage can then kind of control using an anchor sort of situation mm-hmm. but that anchor also then gives aramond and by extension corypheus control of like they can basically mind control the mages there yeah um so hey, Eric. gray wardens have been straight up tricked duped as it were into hey, Eric. what's up at what point did the Grey Wardens become such complete fucking imbeciles? Morons? Yeah. Um, like, so I... Mm. I have a, I have a take on this, but I want to hear okay. yours first. It, the, it just gets into... And this is going to be a recurring thing, because, like... Even if these aren't the Wardens that, like, my character commanded and was, like, ever really part of, this entire fucking, like, questline just put in its fucking fingerprints on, like, the all of, like, the things that we have investment from the past games. And I'm just like... Yeah. I... It's like watching... Oh, I was about to say, like, like a, make a very morbid comparison, but it's like, it's like watching somebody's fucking corpse be used as a puppet. And, like, <laughs> to, to do weird shit and, like, stupid shit and be this unrecognizable thing because, like, they make all of... Like, it was, like I talked about in the, the Mage and Templar stuff, like, making things that matter to players into factions that can be like judged and used by the inquisition in ways that like are it's like a one-two punch because like this came just after we watched the mage templar war that we started into basically get wrapped up and you know one side of it get turned into corypheus's lackeys and the other one get put into the inquisition but now i'm having to watch like okay like granted me personally from like i don't like origins and that has only been exacerbated by this podcast so like i don't know that i like care about the wardens per se but like i do have like an investment in like that whatever it was whatever i feel about the game now like there was a point where that faction mattered to me and like that i had a character that was deeply ingrained in that shit and this is all going on and he is in some fucking he's nowhere like he's not like his actual role in this game is non-existent except for a letter he writes and meanwhile the entire great wardens are just falling apart at the seams and doing ridiculous blood magic rituals that don't have it, it, like they literally make no sense like you're mm, mm-hmm. okay, They're literally ahead. nonsensical your like anyone watching this stuff happening should be like hey this this seems bad mm-hmm. um the the my takeaway from it is that and maybe this is me just thinking back on origins and stuff like that but um the gray wardens i feel like it's intimated very early on that the gray wardens are not necessarily the best of us um Mm. a lot of the people that end up in the gray wardens are doing so as a punishment or they're doing so out of like blackmail or whatever like like our character in pretty much every origin ends up in the gray wardens because they've got literally nowhere else to go 
um duncan you know duncan himself is kind of no angel (laughs) um Mm -hmm. alistair is running from like a you know his, his parentage and all that it's all if Logan is there Logan is there because you put him there uh, as a punishment um you know right. there is and, and being a gray warden is in some ways literally a, a death sentence like you, you are kind of signing away your life at that point yeah um so in that respect i i don't know if they sold this well enough because they do always try to be like well you know the great wardens are good and we can be good and all that but then it's like directly contradicted by a bunch of dumbasses just being like well i'll happily have my throat slit if it means we can make a demon army right. <laughs> like mm. um but it's you know maybe that is the interesting thing about the great wardens is that they have like noble ambition but they're just staffed by dumbasses um mm. i could see that being like an interesting subversion of you know the gallant knights who defeat the blight and all that but really but that doesn't i don't think that's intentional though like that's like no no but i mean it it is if nothing else interesting to me that the gray warrens exist as this thing that are like it's a refuge for criminals and stuff like that Mm. that then suddenly become way more important once there's a problem that only the gray wardens can deal with and i think in some ways this is also a reflection of like what does a gray warden do when there's no blight you know like what what do they honestly like what is the purpose of blood sacrifice yeah um and so in some ways like them giving their lives which they know are going to be forfeit at some point or another anyways and they're all hearing the calling so they're like well we're all gonna die um you know charging into the great unknown if they know they're gonna have to do it anyways then maybe like in their minds they have managed to justify that sacrifice to themselves somehow that they're like well i might as well if i'm gonna have to go do my calling i might as well charge deep into the deep roads and stab a bunch of arch demons on the way there um it's i don't i don't know it i i think that's me reading into it much more than is given in the text Mm. um which you know we've never done that before here on norm bfm mm, but, never uh i the gray wardens are both like fascinating to me and then also like very obviously the night's watch from game of thrones mm. um so i kind of am always two different ways about these this faction and like we know that they're going to be in dragon age 4 because in that teaser there's a character who yells like for the wardens and all that so that's obviously like okay well the gray wardens are back uh, no matter what kind of decision we make here in this this mission, they do exist still. Um, however, that looks. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so we we have our initial fight at the ritual tower, and then we're kind of like, well, you know, all the wardens have kind of uh, locked themselves up in adamant fortress uh, with Aramond. They're gonna do the big one. They're gonna <laughs> they're gonna. Mm-hmm do as much blood sacrifice and demon summoning as they can to, to summon an even bigger demon and then that'll all be under Corypheus's control and it's like heavily implied at this point I don't know if it was in yours but it was for me uh like hey this is where the um like the demon army that you saw yeah. in your visions comes yeah. from this is the source of that um so we're like cool we gotta go stop that <laughs> Uh, so we rally up for what is actually a pretty cool scene because we get to see 
like the inquisition the forces of the inquisition i think up to this point we've kind of just been told that the inquisition is large but now we get to actually see how large it is that we can lay siege to a castle if we want to yeah um and it, it turns into this cool mission where we're running around and um i don't know how you thought about this but i thought that all the stuff like taking out the battlements and all that like fighting on different parts of the battlements and helping the siege and all that i thought that was cool i thought it was like a a neat little it did remind me of origins in a way like the design felt very originsy yeah but uh in a good way yeah similar to like that that final fight in uh yes yeah in denarum um good good mission i I was just reflecting on that last mission in origins and i like that one and you also get there are like a couple points like you can like spare or uh i think i, I don't remember if you actually even because like some of the wardens start to try to surrender and i think you can yes uh you know you can just tell them to like get out or find safety um and i think a black wall will if i guess i, I have no i didn't actually have black wall i think there is a point where somebody like backs me up as like a person that can be trusted um it might have been hawk actually I, for me, it was Varric, I want to say, or it might have been Stroud. Hmm. Goodness, Stroud. Um, yeah, yeah, you can spare some Great Wardens, which kind of affects a thing that can happen later. Um, and then you get to the point where you find Clarell, uh, and, and they're, of course, doing a big ol' <laughs> blood magic. <laughs> like, they're just mm. in the courtyard doing some blood magic. So... Uh, at this point the reason why i brought up crestwood earlier is that um there is a character you can find in crestwood janna who uh you can make an agent of the inquisition if you don't do that she will be the sacrifice here uh which is kind of messed up it's kind of a messed up situation because i think she's like she wanted to become a gray warden i think she wanted Mm -hmm. to join the gray wardens or something like that but um otherwise and this is my favorite one it's an elder gray warden who's just like yeah my life i'm old you can kill me make me a demon that sounds great do it mm-hmm. <laughs> um which kind of is what solidified my maybe the gray wardens are a bunch of dumbasses take <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but um you try to talk them down i succeeded in like making some of the warriors basically be like hey you know you're kind of all dying for this and you don't really need to um yeah which made the, the following fight a little bit easier. Um, yeah. But we kind of break things up, and Clarell realizes that, hey, this thing I'm doing is kind of fucked up. Um, and a chase ensues with Aramond and Clarell. And then suddenly a uh, good old archdemon, a dragon, shows up. Yeah. And uh, following a very cinematic chase scene and all that, uh, we end up plummeting into the fade with our party and the shroud uh the shroud the shroud, the shroud. himself that, that is the a massive str- thing the shroud himself um <laughs> and and hawk uh, you know our merry band of adventurers falls into the fade because apparently there's a giant fade opening i guess that's the one that they were using to pull the nightmare mm-hmm. thing out of yeah um and it just kind of stayed open <laughs> mm-hmm. i don't know how the fade works man nobody does <laughs> um yeah so we're back in the fade now ken mm-hmm. we already talked about the gray wardens you know we cover gray wardens let's talk about the fade yeah i hate the fade 
every time I'm in the like I feel like it's just a thing at this point that they're like oh well if we do the fade we have to do certain things with the fade like we have to do oh well there are puzzle things you can do that get you stat points and there are ghosts that talk to you and stuff like that and Mm. I mean this is the best version of that that we have played so far but that doesn't mean mean it's good (laughs) I I didn't really find anything that happened here too egregious and I was like really really into a lot of the reveals here Um, just because like they I mean as as a character who's playing like as a person who's playing a very like the, an unfaithful character who has uh, had, you know, a very specific relationship with kind of, like, the, the idea of the Herald of Andraste and, like, you know, the specific uh, storylines that I guess people are putting on me. Um, I was really fascinated by the way the game makes such, like, a definitive statement about that and uses the fade to kind of... I don't know if it, like, necessarily deconstructs the entirety of the, the faith of the Dragon Age universe, but it at least does, like, on a you know, uh, the scale of, um, this game specifically, because we, I think we've been talking about this randomly enough, we talked about it back in, like, Mass Effect Andromeda, like, when it comes to Bioware talking about how faith is used to fill in the gaps of reality to kind of, like, justify a person's specific viewpoint, um, I really like this section and just because it really colors the way that this world is or you know maybe some certain subsections of this world are trying to use current events to further an agenda um and as a character that is you know very cynical and just hates that's fucking happening it was like really just a really great like turning point in this game for me I don't know. <laughs> I I'm so many ways about this fade part specifically because I like I mentioned I don't like the design of it. I guess in terms of this being a faith question and and like what it it didn't make me feel like I was having to question a lot about my faith. Like I was more just kind of like, "Oh, well, we're in the freaking fade again, you know, here we go." Um but some of the things that get revealed so I guess I should probably get into like divine justinia is here um mm-hmm. for somehow some or way. something or something yeah. that looks like her i mean right off the bat i was like okay cool it's a uh it's a what you, it's a spirit like come on it's a spirit um did you did you did you bring cassandra with you here i did yeah i did too and i was like like to the point where, like you like is this her and then cassandra is like you know gobsmacked that this is happening because yeah divine justinia meant so much to her and she's like i don't really know if i can answer that definitively whether it's her or not Um, right um which which is interesting um but it's maybe it's because i already know like what a lot of the outcome of this is is that i just ended up not enjoying it as much as i probably did the first time around but this this fade section is very much like i feel like they just added too much on the sides for me to care about the middle like like the the core path of it because there's a lot of stuff you're doing where it's like oh head over here and there's a mirror where you get a stat point and head over here and there's a spirit that you can get a thing and then give the thing to the uh, spirit. i mean like, I, it feels very origins-y um in that way uh, i didn't really engage with most of that i think i just 
because really, I know I didn't like really go out of my way to like go off the beaten path for stuff because that's fair. That's fair. Or at least for that stuff specifically, because there's like a lot of things you can kind of stumble upon that uh, I guess like play into the fact that you are like in a nightmare demons kind of like domain. Yeah, and. Um, nope. The one that did stick out to me is that you can find the graveyard with all yeah. the different fears of, of your party members on it, which is interesting. Um, yeah. You know, you get to kind of see, like, okay, Sarah fears the nothing. Like, she fears the void. And Varric fears... I think Varric's was, like, becoming his parents or something like that. Um, something like that, yeah. And and also the the nightmare, which we learn is like the the super fear demon that's kind of lording over all this, which is like Corypheus's demon helper, I guess is the best way of putting it. Like a demon mm-hmm. that's kind of working with Corypheus to bring the demons into the real world. Um, is also like a fear demon, and so yeah. not only are all the it's there's a cool part where you're fighting a bunch of these spiders that are attacking you. They're all named different things like mages templars uh god what was it one of them was annulment like the right of annulment one of them was like loneliness or something like that like they all have basically like different fears that your uh character might have but you're fighting all these spiders and then uh one of your character goes like oh more spiders and and cassandra specifically is like spiders what are you talking about all i see are these giant pulsating maggots (laughs) and That's when I think I had Dorian with me, and Dorian was like, "Oh, they take on the shape of whatever like we loathe the most, right. like one more petty thing to like unsettle us." Yeah. Um, that's a cool thing, but like the nightmare also taunts your party as you're moving mm-hmm. through the area. Like with with Dorian, he specifically makes the call out of like, "Is that Dorian Pavis? Sorry, I mistook you for your father and stuff yeah. like that." Um, yeah, and then Hawk, I know, like they'll. Um... But like with mine, it was like Fenris is going to die alone or something like that, and you know, yeah, callbacks to your mine with Meryl, yeah, yeah. Um, Varix was very interesting. Varix was like, because I had Varix with me, and and mm-hmm. the nightmare was like, you dragged Hawk into this. Like it's your fault yeah. that Hawk is caught up in all of this, and if right. something happens to them, it's going to be you that's left the blame and kind of like resurfacing some of the things about Bartrand and all that, like a lot of guilt over his decisions. Um, it's like, that was, that was cool. But we, we eventually get to the point where we learn that, um, the, the shape that saved us originally in the breach is we're regaining our memories by fighting demons. (laughs) We learned the great wardens were the ones who took divine Justinia like captured Mm -hmm. her and worked with Corypheus to make that happen so that's kind of like one of the big revelations of this is like oh the Grey Wardens aren't just corrupt now like they've been corrupt and they are extremely susceptible to corruption from Corypheus right um but also we learn yeah that well before we like before we get to I guess the the other reveal here that is kind of a point where hawk and for us stroud have like a moment where they get like in each other's faces and like mm-hmm. hawk is like you're the one like this is your fault you, you know the royal you of the Grey wardens and like this is a you know something that, that you all have to own up for and then stroud is like you're the one that didn't know corypheus wasn't dead when you tried to kill them or kill him and it was a moment for me like it mm. 
at the person that played um, what I was just gonna say the way they frame the Corypheus stuff in this mission definitely gets to me a little bit in in what way um in this moment specifically that hawk is like blaming the great wardens for Corypheus, kind of like oh you know you had Corypheus locked up but like you didn't do anything about him or anything like that um and then there's a later thing that i know we will talk about that involves it a little bit stronger but um yeah, yeah putting putting the gray wardens and hawk again it feels like this would be more natural if it was your gray warden and your hawk and because yeah. that would be like oh they're pitting my player characters against each other and all that yeah. For me, at this point, though, it was a weird thing of, like, I don't like Bioware... <laughs> I know this doesn't, this doesn't really add up in terms of, like, yes, clearly Bioware wrote the character of Hawk and, like, all those dialogue options and everything that I do in these games is defined by something that was written by a team at Bioware. Uh-huh. But I don't... Like, I, that was where the, the moment where I was most, like, weird about the way that, like, I felt so hands-off on a character that I had put so much time into, because that yeah. is not the way my hawk would have reacted, because, like, I, I play the sarcastic hawk, the carefree, yeah. the one that doesn't give a shit, and suddenly, That's like, easier. he is, like, super mad, and, like, super judgy, and stu- it's like, I don't, I don't like it, like, why, like, why... I don't know what, like, the solution would have been, because, like, I do feel like Hawk deserves to be in this game in some capacity, but I just, when you make a character that is supposed to be, you know, not, not necessarily defined in any way, I mean, granted, Hawk is, as we said over the course of these seasons, is maybe the most, def- quote-unquote, definable of all of them, just because, like, they are one of three people, um, but like when you have these characters that aren't necessarily supposed to be easily defined, when you make your character a catch-all for all possibilities, you run into things like that. Where like that character doesn't feel like mine anymore. Like he doesn't feel like a character I spent like thirty hours playing as that I had established like a very specific identity and like set of values that suddenly just this other yeah. fucking dude that wears his face. And, like, Stroud throws it back in a really weird way, too, where he's like, you're the one that started the Mage Rebellion. I'm like, you know those things aren't the same, right? Like, mm. you're able to split, like, oh, we caused the death, we directly caused the death of Divine Justinia V, and, oh, you started an uprising of an oppressed group of mages. Mm. Like, you know those are not the same thing, right? Um, mm. But, yeah, it's... I understand that they, at this point, are trying to set up the eventual decision that we are going to make because it ends Mm. in the same way that the mage templar stuff does um and i guess maybe this is the point where i'm starting to get frustrated with having every choice you know not again not to skip to the end of the page but having every choice end in like join us or don't join us um and i don't know (laughs) we will get there in a moment um the other Mm. reveal is that it was the divine and not andraste who appeared in the breach she died uh being killed by demons so that the inquisitor could escape with the anchor um and the spirit is kind of taking on the form of justinia and so this is this is the part where the faith stuff does come through for me because this is like okay yeah. now no, yeah now like we're facing a question of okay well we have proof now that you know the anchor we've proven that the anchor was blood magic and we've also proven that there was not some divine being behind the veil that was giving us 
our yep. marching orders or anything. And I think this this suddenly poses an interesting thing that is not lingered on as much as I think as it should be. Um, and maybe it isn't. I haven't played any further like dialogues or anything like that. So maybe when I go talk to Cassandra and Liliana a little bit more, mm-hmm. I'll get to see more of it. But um, it does suddenly pose that question of like, okay, well, if you were a faith-based inquisitor up to this point, now you have to suddenly rationalize the fact that like, yep. oh, I was believing in something that didn't exist. And, and on the flip side, like for me as somebody who's just kind of like, well, I just got to do my job. I'm not really like here about all this church stuff. I'm just here to like do my job. Um, I was just kind of like, Oh, well life, man, shit happens. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, what about you at this point? Yeah. It's like, I mean, like I was kind of like hinting at earlier, like it is one of like the game changing reveals for me in this game, just because like, you know, I, like I said, like I said throughout the season, like I, my character is very much like not only non-faithful, but like actively like does not like that that is being attached to him, and is you know an active non-believer, and that is like a major point of contention between me and Cassandra, and so like there's like a smugness, like a smug satisfaction that my character gets out of this that like kind of gets informs like the way that I start to talk to people or like. I mean, I kind of, I kind of already have at this point, but like, more emboldened in the fact that I'm like, okay, like, not only have I seen all the wrong that the Chantry has done, like, in the name of a god they claimed, like, you know, exist, um, but like, may, like, maybe I am like in a position now where like we have the evidence that this this is all bullshit, and I need to like kind of use that and like be actively speaking against things. Like, there's gonna be conversations that are gonna come up later where I'm gonna like you know, outside of the scale of this episode where I'm going to talk to Cassandra and be like, hey, maybe the Chantry should just fucking go away. Like, maybe, like, you're doing more harm than good. Like, whatever you think you're following, whatever you think that this does for people, it's not fucking worth it. And my life is forever, like, tainted by the fact that, like, people thought that I was some sort of religious figure and are have been putting on that for me for however long this game has gone on. And... I don't know, like, I just, I don't want to, like, like, I, I say smug satisfaction, but I, I don't want to downplay, like, how important it is as a character that is, you know, actively against the faith and, like, the sort of, like, foundational religion of this universe to kind of be like, no, there are things that have kept this world stagnant that we can, we have reason to fight against now. And, like, we have reason to question, and that is, like, you know, a large, a long-standing theme of this game, um... Whether that means anything in Dragon Age 4 is yet to be seen, but, um, I really like this, like, I, that is, like, sh- short of, you know, the, the thing that's about, to, that we're about to talk about, that is, like, the biggest takeaway, um, of, of this mission for me. Like, that it is a, a point where a universe that has mostly been, well, I mean, with the exception of, like, maybe, like, the Mage Rebellion, like, has mostly been stagnant throughout and like they're you know when we did things in origins like they maybe changed things on a smaller scale specifically for Reldon, but they did not have wider ramifications about like you know ushering active change in the universe um and i think that's just kind of like the bulk of what inquisition is like individuals realizing that things don't have to be be the way they've always been and like maybe there is a better version of this world that they all live in uh-huh and, like, identifying what parts of the cultures in all these 
different sides of Thetis that they can maybe examine or just outright abolish. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the largest conflicts of this game, like as as like a meta conflict, is is this idea that we have become like the Chantry has basically been like its power structures have been largely dismantled, and we're kind of the last remaining bastion of it mm-hmm. and we're then put in a role where because of this andraste stuff we can suddenly affect change in it right. and because people believe that you know the god of this world is working through us but on the other side of the coin you know what happens when they suddenly learn that's not the case how does that affect our ability to affect change with it and i it raises like a lot of interesting questions that i want to see explored hopefully soon and um you know, as as we learned by trespasser and all that, I think Inquisition as a whole is about breaking down the mythology of Dragon mm-hmm. Age and putting it into like understandable, tangible terms of like this is why the world exists the way that it does. Right. Um and, and obviously like operating on a much larger scale with literal gods and things like that, but also understanding like what the gods actually are. Um right. and how they became that way. Um, and so that way is it does like often feel like a dismantling of right. religion. It feels like a dismantling of that. But I think the interesting twist that's thrown in here, if you talk to Justinia right before like one of the, the final battles in this area is you can like ask her different questions, you know, like who are you actually, what are you actually doing and all that. And she gets to a point where she's like, you know, maybe, this is Andraste is doing and maybe it's not. Maybe this is not what Andraste wants at all. And I think Cassandra can say something like, what, what are you talking about? How can you doubt? You're the divine. And mm-hmm. um, Justinia says something like, my child, if we did not doubt, our faith would be worth nothing. Right. And, and that like that stuck out to me specifically because I think, at least me personally, there is a distinct difference between religion and faith and -hmm. faith is something that you can have not just in a higher power but in a concept you can have faith in love you can have faith in humanity you can have faith in the system you know it's just a belief that we will all work towards the benefit of each other right but that doubt is what makes that faith important you know like we know that humanity can do bad so the faith is made all that more important we exhibit it because we still believe in the best despite the bad um these are all just random thoughts that were floating through my head as i was playing this game which really just stuck out to me because it's not something that necessarily again this is not specifically raised by the text but i feel like this part of the game maybe does pose some questions to you and and by extension having the player have to answer these questions you know and over the course of the next few parts of this mission you kind of get asked a few times like hey so you're not andraste's herald mm-hmm. how are you feeling about that yep. um and and having the ability to respond to that i think then kind of forces you to reckon with it and forces yep. you to think about it to be like you know hey how do i feel about that um previously i might have thought that i was being given you know it's almost like a a play on the hero story you know like oh we were destined to do great things like no you're just the person that walked into the room like uh but i like that again that for me that is my inquisitor i'm like well i was the person that walked into the room and so now i gotta deal with it because i walked into the room 
Um, anyways, we finally get to the point where Justinia makes kind of an ultimate sacrifice to take out the large, big, scary nightmare spider demon, um, or at least subdue it so that we can get past it and get out of the rift and close the rift from the other side so that way the nightmare demon can't get out. Uh, we still have to do a boss fight against, like, the under, I guess, like, the other form of it or something. I wasn't really sure on what this thing was. It was just a big, spooky spider face man. And I was like, cool, I guess I'll stab this thing then. <laughs> mm. um, which was actually a little bit harder of a fight than I was maybe ready for. I also can, at this point, is maybe a good thing to note that I had hit an inventory capacity in this area and mm -hmm. obviously there are no merchants to sell off a bunch of stuff to so i just started destroying everything that was below like blue rarity in my inventory mm -hmm. without realizing that one of those things was the armor that my <laughs> inquisitor was currently wearing and i didn't have any other armor that they could wear at the time so i played through this whole mission without armor and let me tell mm -hmm. you as a, as a <laughs> dual dagger wielding rogue that made this a little bit harder of a fight than it made I imagine so. Been. Yeah. Mm. Um, anyways, once we defeat this boss, we start making our mad dash for the exit, but old Spidey comes to, and uh, we are kind of left with a decision where everyone else is kind of making it, making a break for the rift, but it becomes clear that uh, to make it, somebody is going to have to distract the spider demon and stroud and hawk kind of <sighs> take it upon themselves let's say to decide who that's going to be well i mean they offer the choice to you but they're like oh well it's gonna be one of us well, um, they both like they say like, that freeze. it is their responsibility yeah like, so throughout is like yeah. it's my responsibility as a warden to make up for what we've done and hawk says um, you need to be there to help rebuild the wardens. Corypheus is my responsibility. And this is the part where I have a problem with the Corypheus invocation. Mm. Um, I understand that the demon and the demon army is like part of Corypheus, but also up to this point, I felt like they were tooting the Corypheus horn at the wrong times for me. Like mm. in, in parts where Hawk should have been like, hey, you know, what are, what are we doing about Corypheus? How can I help with Corypheus? They were just kind of like, oh, you know, I'm just here doing Hawk stuff. But then yeah. in moments like this where Corypheus is not really related <laughs> outside of, like, a loose, like, tangential attachment to this, Hawk is like, no, I will lay my life down because it's Corypheus time. And you, know, like, you, you know what? You know what's, like, just fascinating to me, Eric? About how, what, how Dragon Age protagonists are crucial to the story when it's convenient. They are crucial to their conflicts when it is when it can be made a choice that you have to make between sacrificing people, but not throughout the rest of the game. Now, Hawk is like, Hawk does other things. Corypheus isn't really Hawk's business, unless it's got to make a fucking sacrifice. And it's, I mean, we can kind of skip ahead a little bit here in that. So the decision that gets made is like one person stays behind and ostensibly dies, uh, even though we do not technically see them die uh we do yeah, the, end the, up saying that they die anyways like the phrasing of like the actual choice being made implies that they are not necessarily going to die but that they probably will so that's like a weird thing that like it just gives them an the out open yeah, yeah like gives them out to like bring them back regardless of who it is um um 
I wouldn't necessarily be against that because like Mass Effect has done that before too, like with Grunt and Mass Effect Three. Like they've totally done that before, but that was that. Uh, I mean, that wasn't like a decision contained. though. That wasn't like a. Yeah, it was. That wasn't like a, it's what are no, you talking about? Grunt like decides like decides to stay regardless. Like you don't make a decision to make a sacrifice there. Right, but you make the decision to do his loyalty mission or not, and that's what makes him survive or not. Well, that's not that's not like the exact same thing. That's like because you're making know. like a you're like there's a dialogue wheel that says. It, leave one or one person or the other where grunt is like okay it is informed by something you did but not like directly stated that way yeah i i I see what you're saying there um yeah it's okay so hmm. the the other weird part of that to just skip ahead just so we can talk about this is that i so i chose I chose Stroud to stay behind mm-hmm. um, because I like my Hawk too much. I just had too yeah. much of an attachment to Hawk to leave them behind. I made an emotional decision. Um, if you choose that, Hawk just pieces out to Literally, go do Grey Warden mm, stuff. Washes his hands of the entire thing. Like, Grey is my responsibility. Nah, okay, I'm done. That was I, I contributed. Yeah, it's a really strange thing that they're just like hey you know peace and i was like weren't you just the one back in the fade who was like corypheus is my responsibility and all that and now you're like well i'm gonna go head up to weishaupt to let the the wardens there know what's up you know because we can't really do that by letter i guess um see ya <laughs> and, mm. yeah it's it's that that decision is bizarre to me um, it's just to so... not even have them still hang around skyhold yeah, like, like do, contribute, like, do yeah. anything. And it's just, it's bizarre to me, because, like, and, you know, this isn't a surprise to anybody who's listened to this podcast before, but just, like, the contrivance of it is so blatant. And, like, there's this weird notion in, like, the Dragon Age fandom's head that because it's, this is how things have been, this is how things have to be. And, like, they don't point out, like, that is, like, blatantly inconsistent writing. It is blatantly... Like, choosing when characters matter, like, when it is most convenient, when it doesn't require them to really, like, make an effort. And I, I don't mean to say... That sounded really dismissive of me, but, like, that is kind of, like, where I'm kind of falling on this. Like, they... Hawk should be in this game. Like, Hawk deserves to see this story through. But because they they were a protagonist once, they cannot be a major presence again. And that is, like the uncritical viewpoint of the Dragon Age fandom. And I don't... I They can't keep getting away with it! And it's like... <laughs> like, we... It's... It, again, it, it just leaves me with no hope for this next game. That, like, that they're gonna do right by the, the characters that matter. And then when they do, they're gonna, like, just... pick and choose when things... Like, when characters are actually relevant to what's going on. And I just don't... I don't, I don't fucking get it. Like, I don't get why they have to, why it has to be this way. I mean, hmm. that's, that's a very, I mean, we've talked about it a million times. It's a very big question because I think there's a mix of that. And I think the only answer you're ever going to get is by asking the person, like the people who make that decision themselves. Um, Cause we can only speculate at what, the thought process there is 
Well, I mean, they say, they, like, we've, we've seen in interviews, like, I mean, I'm, I don't want to directly quote anybody just because, like, I don't have the quotes in front of me, but, like, th- there is... They, they've this... answered in interviews and stuff like that. I, and, and, like, and I am interested to see, like, whether this next one does anything with the inqui- the Inquisitor right. or not. Like, carries And just, like, the general idea that is brought forth in interviews is that Dragon Age is about a place, and, or about, about a time and place rather than it is about people when it's convenient. Like, I, that, okay, that, I added that last part, but, like, when it is convenient, when they can contrive things to make where, like, they can leave characters behind in their own stories, whether they can, like... Well, it, and, and just to, like, bullshit. spiral, like, my frustration here is is purely that, like, it's inconsistent with the characterization of Hawk. Like, it's not, mm-hmm. it's not the matter that Hawk... Hawk does get to participate in dealing with Corypheus. It's that the way they participate feels very strange given the things that we are doing and kind of the mission that they are thrust into, which I guess, again, speaks back to how this mission kind of feels like it should have been set up a different way and had a different character present to be the opposite side of Hawk, because otherwise I haven't seen numbers, but I imagine that a large number of people left Stroud to die here. (laughs) Yeah. And that is like what I was talking about earlier. Like there's a weird meta layer of this. Like I have no, I personally have no attachment to Stroud and while there is like maybe a tactical reason and like a you know a, like a wider reaching ramification of like thinking Stroud maybe should be the one that gets to survive, I don't know that dude. I played thirty hours of Hawk. Like I like have the investment in that character to to save them and um and you know there there are gonna be issues like that later where like there's gonna be a character that my Inquisitor has like very little reason to trust them, but I do like me specifically. So I'm gonna make a certain decision informed by that trust of that character that, that one's a bit different though i don't know that i i, I look forward to discussing that one a bit because i know who you're talking about and i i feel differently about that one but mm. um here here's a hypothetical to pose to you what mm. if you didn't have a choice in this decision what if hawk always dies here like what if hawk makes the brave sacrifice here says for the good of the wardens the warden needs to survive I'm staying behind because that almost feels like it could have been a culmination of an arc for Hawk of like this character who has always started problems and then ran away from them. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, Hawk, as we learned from talking to Hawk, like they ran away from Kirkwall. They're not rebuilding Kirkwall. They left because their presence was too much of a problem and could have brought an exalted March down upon the city. Mm -hmm. And in, in that respect, like I wonder if if the choice was different, if you had this option to be like, you know, Hawk always dies in this mission. Like that is just what happens. Um, mm. If that would feel tonally different, because like think, also, mm. it's it's just real quick. It's worth mentioning that like if Stroud stays behind, you get a very not cinematic send-off for this character where you just kind of look back and see them like hacking at a demon spider and then run away but if hawk stays behind hawk gets like a cool last quip about their love interest or whatever like it's given a lot more narrative Mm -hmm. weight when hawk is the one that dies which to me is like okay well you've got one character where if they die it's just like oh yeah there goes stroud he's gonna get eaten by a spider Mm -hmm. and then the other one is like oh hawk is dying like that yeah. kind of tells me that you're not; those scales are not balancing out. 
Like, that's yeah, not think, much yeah. of a choice. I have conflicting feelings on it, because, like, part of me is like, yeah, that would, that would be, like, depending on, you know, various circumstances, that would feel, like, thematically appropriate for mm-hmm. Hawk to kind of, like, have that really um, significant, like, focal point of the story, of, like, this conflict that is theirs. Like, you know, they say Corypheus is my responsibility, which it is, but the end of the game doesn't follow through on that, because Dragon Age can't follow through on anything, because it's a coward's game. Um, but also, like, it would frustrate me on, like, because that would have felt very much like Hawk is dying to further the Inquisitor's story um, without, like, any real input from the player, and that just, like, I don't know what version of Hawk dying in the story that is Dragon Age Inquisition would have felt oh, appropriate for me. I can just, think of one. I was thinking of it, actually, because I have the Dragon Age wiki open as we have been going through this episode, and the video that popped up in the bottom was of a certain mission called what pride has wrought and there's a part at the end where you make a similar escape with someone hot on your heels and i think if hawk had stayed behind to clear the path in that moment that might have felt like a more fitting end because at least then hawk Mm. is facing the thing that they say that they care about a lot right like like hawk um, and curfews don't speak in this game yeah that's weird to me that's strange for all like for all the posturing of like hawk and curfews being like like, Griffith being Hawk's responsibility, they never come into contact with each other. So I don't think... Well, I think sometimes foisting Corypheus onto Hawk can kind of feel... And maybe I, I was thinking about this because of the way that, that Stroud kind of puts the Mage Rebellion on Hawk. And is like, well, you caused the Mage Rebellion. It's like, no, I was there, and I was a major player in it, but there were a lot of things that caused it. I feel the same way about Corypheus, in a way, where I'm like, mm. I mean, yeah, it does, like that more than anything else does have direct ties to hawk's lineage but you know hawk was just kind of part of that was not necessarily like it's i feel like the soulless inquisitor tie is much stronger than like any Maybe, other I mean, villain hero tie we have in this I think, series i think that's fair just because like so well sorry guys for spoiling soulless not for you um I thought because, at this point we've we've said it multiple times and we would have said it in the panel talk as well. <laughs> and Bioware okay, has sure. said it. Bioware sure, has been broadcast again with Dragon but Age Four. I, I do think that's fair in that Solus is like you know was a companion to the entire game and yes, Trespasser yeah. it very yeah. definitively ends on the note of like these two people are on opposite sides of a conflict. Mm-hmm. Um so I think in that sense, like, yeah, I think that the tie is stronger, but I don't feel like the tie is negligible for Hawk and yeah. Corypheus. I feel like he, he they Hawk was the person who let them out. Hawk was the person that tried and failed to kill them. Um, I don't know. Like, I mean, it, I, I, I feel like one way about the way that Dragon is chooses to handle Dragon is, I just don't feel like, short of letting Hawk have more than just, like, a very passing, uh, negligible role in this game that they were ever going to do right by them. And I Mm. don't think that either killing them off or just contriving a reason for them to walk in the opposite direction of everything that's going on, I don't think that was it. And I don't think that it, it does not leave me with very much faith in Bioware to do right by the Inquisitor either. So that's my feelings on Here Lies the Abyss. Well, we do have one more thing to note real quick, is that after we escape the rift, uh, we emerge on the other side, 
uh i think for both of us we had convinced the gray warden warriors to side with us a little bit so Mm -hmm. um it's at this point that the gray wardens are like hey you know we kind of messed up we were kind of culpable in the death of the divine and all that um that was bad what are you gonna do with us and obviously this is maybe where having that choice of the warden uh plays in which is that uh if if we have the warden with us there's kind of like the the wardens are a little bit more it's implied that they're more solid and and things are going to be okay with them Mm -hmm. uh whereas obviously if not then they're like well everybody i mean we should i don't think i mentioned that clarell gets murdered by the dragon uh earlier on but she does she gets a straight up jurassic parked by that dragon and Mm um man do you remember jurassic world i was thinking about this the other day you remember jurassic world man that movie's kind of messed up the way that treats that one babysitter character (laughs) yeah um i I thought about that the other day because it's like man there was a jurassic park movie yeah it was kind of messed up it was kind of weird oh wasn't wild about that there were other parts of that movie that were good mostly involving chris pratt but that one specific part kind of weird kind of strange uh god if i have i don't remember it very well that's that is the wildest thing that i saw both this movie i think chris pratt is like a man that i enjoy looking at and i don't remember almost anything about that movie i remember i like i remember that first movie because that's the one where they're in like the cool ball that rolls around and stuff Mm. like that and that's the one where they make a super t-rex also it has like the dumbest movie moment in existence which is they're going to go check out the super t-rex cage uh and not only have they made a super t-rex which is always a bad idea but like they made this giant cage explicitly so that this dinosaur will always be in it and then they instead of going through the person-sized door to check out what's going on in the enclosure they opened the big door and i've never understood that they opened the big door instead of the person-sized door the t-rex can fit through one of those doors and can't fit mm-hmm. through one of the other doors <laughs> and i don't know why they opened the one that the t-rex can fit through either way that that was a problem um but yeah Clarell gets a uh, t-rex by that uh big old dragon so there's not really anyone left to lead the the gray wardens <laughs> especially if you leave stroud behind so at this point we can choose to either also bring the gray wardens into the inquisition or we can exile them from orlay and basically be like hey you are too susceptible to corruption you need to leave now like you cannot be a part of this conflict because you will just end up getting turned against everybody else Mm. um high against my better judgment chose to keep the gray wardens yeah i did too just like the inquisition needs to keep like this gaping maw that just consumes every faction in the dragon age universe look i i want to be powerful (laughs) i I want more swords to stab people with (laughs) um yeah i mean i think they actually do make a fair case for exiling the wardens and they kind of make the point of like oh what if corypheus starts a blight and i'm like i don't know man like we can make a great warden on the spot i don't think that's Mm. like (laughs) i mean just keep a vala darkspawn blood around you know (laughs) like uh we'll draw we got blackball here he should we got blackball here he should know how to make wardens right exactly blackball has blackball 
black walls on top of it. Don't worry about it. Uh, interestingly enough, if you exile the wardens, you can also choose to exile black wall at this point. Um, and you can also choose to exile uh, Loghain or Alistair or Stroud or whoever uh, as well. If they're wrong. Otherwise, um, no matter who it is, that character then goes to Weishaupt, which is like the, the super warden command. It's the, it's the Legion of Doom. What's what's the opposite of the Legion of Doom? The Hall of Justice for, for the Great Wardens. Um, the opposite of the Legion of Doom. <laughs> um, God, I have a weird way of remembering things. Um, yeah, so... No matter who it is, they take off to Weishaupt, even if it's Hawk, who really does not have any reason to go do this. Uh, They're just like, you know, Hawk, we just conscripted a bunch of Wardens. We could, and they're not supposed to be fighting Venatori, so like, we could totally spare a few to go do this. And they're like, no, I got this. I'm like, okay, Hawk, whatever. Sure, Uh, we'll clean up up your mess. Yeah. That's Here Lies the Abyss. Um... Mm. I, you know what's really good though? Well, well, you, you had you had you, with your. I, I was just gonna say, like, I guess we didn't really talk about companion interactions at this, like how they feel about this decision. Um, oh yeah, which is weird because I mean, so Cassandra does disapprove of this, and that's maybe the one that stuck out to me was that Cassandra disapproves of keeping the wardens, uh, which I guess is just a case of, well, they killed the divine, so. I mean, that's maybe not a good thing. Yeah, I don't know. I see all, like, every faction that is, oh, hey, we're a bunch of knights with swords and shields. They're all the same to me. So I was like, this is basically the Templars, Cassandra. Like, come on. (laughs) Mm. Uh, What were you going to say, Ken? I was going to say, you know what's, you know, we've had fairly heated uh, story mission episodes up to this point. Um, But you know what's good? Everything else that comes in this game is pretty fucking rad. Like, my, some of my favorite shit in Dragon Age is coming up real soon. So, like, I don't have any reason to be mad for, like, a minute. Like, I don't have any reason to be mad until, like, Trespasser. Huh. huh. This is not a video podcast, but I'm dancing right now. Ah. <laughs> uh. we, we got Wicked so- Eyes and Wicked Hearts. We got what pride had wrought we got yeah all of these companion episodes like you know all these really cool things are coming up yeah no i i don't mean to i don't mean to make that sound like i i don't think that there's not any like like this is definitely i think one of the the points where we are more critical of of dragon age inquisition as a whole a game that on the whole i do mostly like um there is one specific episode where i think we're just going to be like god we we're trying to make hay here we're trying to to make something out of it but you know some characters are just you know some characters are just not as well loved as other characters <laughs> some are pretty forgettable about, we about the, the one that intentionally makes us forget yeah yeah maybe we could <laughs> intentionally forget to do that episode <laughs> um we have to go tell all our guests that we're gonna, they're gonna be on a week earlier Oh, yeah, there we go. That's the problem. Um, Yeah, like, 
Wicked Eyes, Wicked Hearts, and and what Pride is wrought, and some of the other missions in Inquisition are definitely the parts of Inquisition that I fondly remember. Whereas, mm-hmm. like, the only thing I really ever took away from Here Lies the Abyss is kind of the final, like, decision point that you make. Um, and I think playing it again, it's just reminded me of how similar it feels to the the Templar Mage mission and how that just it's kind of like why are you trying to do this wrap-up of this faction thing and turn it into like well the the gray wardens are with you against like i get that the idea is that we're assembling the avengers you know we're bringing together all the factions because that's the kind of threat that the corypheus is is that we got to bring everybody together which is but you don't have to unravel all of it to make it work like you don't have to like it's you know it's just an example of like everything we talked about when it comes to like forward planning with the series and like the fact that it just didn't fucking do it and so, yeah. you know, we, like, we are wrapping out, wrapping up, like, games worth of things in the course of one mission, and no, no person, place, thing, concept is gonna get get it to do in the way that Dragon Age Inquisition tries to do in these right. first two story missions. Yeah, um, just like finish them in one game. Have you ever considered that, Bioware? Have you ever considered maybe instead I of doing I'm... what you're doing right now, just like wrap things up early, like wrap wrap things up was... in the game they start. I was thinking about it in terms of like origins is a very similar idea, but it plays on a smaller scale because you're really just in Ferelden. And so mm-hmm. the factions you're collecting are not like the gray wardens or the mages. It's yeah. like, you know, you're going to get the help of like Orzammar is probably the largest faction that you talk to. Yeah. Um, other than that, like it's one tower of mages and a clan of Dalish. Like that's, yeah actually not a major fighting force <laughs> like yeah. it's when i was thinking about it i was like man that that army was smaller than i thought it was and they made it feel really big but it was actually like smaller than i remember yeah. it being um it's like as, as the map gets bigger you realize how small things actually were yeah and and that kind of makes me hope that we stay on like the northern side of the map going into four like we stick with tevinter and like um oh god i antiva and and like areas like that um parvalin parvalin would be really cool i'd love to go see that place like see where the canary live that'd be cool um Yeah. yeah here lies the abyss uh we should real quick talk about some let's say rumors that surfaced um earlier last week this would have been last friday uh jeff grubb over at venture beat who has been on this beat uh since like may uh published a new article about the upcoming mass effect remaster that he originally reported on uh which he is calling mass effect legendary edition uh he's heard this is from uh, VentureBeat.com, an article entitled Mass Effect Legendary Edition is still coming, but not in 2020. Uh, originally, uh, the report that he had published was that it was looking at an October reveal and release. Uh, now it's looking like EA and Bioware are pushing that release into early 2021, according to people familiar with the development. Uh, I'm going to read directly from the article here just so we have some some context for it. 
The primary factor holding up development beyond the pandemic is the original Mass Effect game. It currently Imagine does that. not <laughs> it currently does not live up to the quality of the rest of the package. It would make a poor first impression for new players and it might disappoint fans who then won't go on to play and experience the impressive upgrades for 2 and 3. Yep. There it, this is a problem with both the visuals and gameplay. The people working on the game understand the issues and they want to do right by the franchise's fans. But one aspect, well, here's here's the second shoe drop. Uh, but one aspect those fans won't get to experience, regardless of how much time Bioware gets, is the multiplayer. EA doesn't plan to include the Mass Effect 3 multiplayer in this package. Something like that would turn this remaster into a live service game, and that is likely not worth the investment. The publisher could instead put those resources into Apex Legends or another new cooperative shooter, although that is just my, my being Jeff Grubb, speculation. Mass Effect Legendary Edition will, however, include all of the downloadable content for all three Mass Effect games. This will enable players to get the full experience included in the purchase price. Uh, Grub then reiterates that this is something that he's reported on. EA and Bioware have not made any announcements about this. He's just been reporting on things. He also kind of, um, I don't want to say like Mia culpa's here, but is like, hey, you know, I I put this thing out there. I reported on it. They haven't said anything about it, so don't treat it like this is them suddenly delaying something they haven't even announced it yet. So, right. Um, all that being said, um, this is about what I expected for this for this game. Uh. I will say two things that surprise me. I totally, I totally expected them to do full DLC. Like that would be just the dumbest possible thing if they left out any DLC that wasn't just like Blood Dragon armor. <laughs> like mm-hmm. if they left out, you know, Leviathan or Shadow Broker or Citadel, it would be like I didn't know until the other day, by the way, that Wii U never got uh, the Wii U version of Mass Effect Three never got Citadel. Um, that sounds about right. Another hit for the Wii U players of Mass Effect 3. Uh, oof. Um, but the two things that kind of surprised me here, one is the no multiplayer because my mm. cynical you know, self totally expected them to go reboot the multiplayer, put a battle pass system in there, like make it a live service game. So I guess in some respects... Like, like, on one hand, I'm bummed that they're not rebooting it, because I think there is, like, a desire for that to come back in some way. But also, maybe for the best, because otherwise they would have had to put a lot of effort and resources into it. You think about how much content and rollout there is for something like Apex or mm-hmm. Fortnite or things like that. That's a lot of content. That's a lot of balancing. That's a lot of, like, manpower that... Uh, Ken, I think you and I were having this discussion recently that, like, you know, Bioware is currently working on Dragon Age 4, they're working on the reboot of Anthem, there's reports that they're working on the next Mass Effect. Um, They've got a lot going right now, and and adding Mass Effect 3 multiplayer to that, even if it ended up being run by, say, like, another EA studio, not necessarily, like, Bioware, but, like, a support studio, Mm -hmm. um, would just create a lot of (laughs) overhead. Um, Yeah. So I think I'm ultimately okay with that, even though I am a little yeah. bummed. The one thing I'm of like multiple minds about. Um, well, okay, if you want to comment on multiplayer real quick before no, we get into the thing, like, I, I think we're gonna I, really I, talk about. I think it kind <laughs> of lines up with the way EA has talked about remasters in the first place. Like I generally, I didn't, I don't, and this is not me speaking to like the amount of work that it takes to remaster uh, games. It's more talking about like I think 
there, there was probably always like I feel like they're gonna do the bare minimum in terms of like what they want to bring over, like what is going to take the least amount of resources, just because they have been very upfront about how they don't see the value in remasters, but yet here they are. Um, well, it's so, it's been a it's been a one eighty for that company, right? Because yeah, they've been on record saying you know remasters are not EA's jam and all that, but then all of a sudden Burnout Paradise remastered. Uh, rumors of a Mass Effect remaster. You have the um, the Command and Conquer remaster. Very, very, very good remaster from earlier this year. Um, it's been an about face on that respect. So, um, yeah, it's hard to know where expectations are at with that. Yeah. But um, you were saying? Yeah, the, the flip side of this, I think what caused maybe a little bit more controversy and discussion, at least in, in our mentions and such, on, on the Twitters is the idea of them doing a lot of work to Mass Effect 1. Mm. Um, you know, I think there's always a Ship of Theseus argument for this, and anyone at home who doesn't know what that is, it's like the idea of, okay, if you're rebuilding a ship and you're adding new wood, new planks to the ship, how much can you add before it's not the ship that it used to be? It's a new ship altogether. Mm. Um so how how much can you change mass effect one before it's not really mass effect one anymore and like i think something easy to point out would be like the recent resident evil 2 remake and resident evil Mm. 3 remake where those games are structurally the same same characters same general layout but there's a lot of added stuff obviously the gameplay is very different because of the changes to how that game operates to the point that I would arguably say that those like Resident Evil 2 and Resident Evil 2 remake are different games. Um, they, they're just kind of different interpretations. So then we're looking at, okay, maybe that's why they're going with mass effect. Legendary edition is they know that one Mm -hmm. is going to look a bit different, but how, you know, for all that we got down on one, like how much is aged poorly. And like, it has aged poorly. That game has not aged well. Um, but it hasn't aged terribly to the point of being like completely broken either. I absolutely disagree. Like not even <laughs> close to the same page here. But I, okay. Okay. I personally think it is not aged that terribly. And if nothing else, like when you're commemorating something, do you commemorate what it could be or what it was at the time? And mm-hmm. As much as bringing Mass Effect 1 in line with 2 and 3 sounds good, and I understand why they want to do it, because they probably are hoping that people who didn't play the trilogy in the first place will mm. jump on with this collection. Yeah. Um, but there are just weird quirks of Mass Effect 1 that I like. You know, I like that it had stuff where I could mod this assault rifle into a bullet hose or like turn my pistol into a bazooka just because you could put like explosive rounds 11 on them and it would overheat you could only shoot it once before it overheated but man you could like blow up a geth um walker with that thing just by itself like you could do a lot of really dumb stuff in that game with that system and part of me is kind of bummed to think that that will disappear for you know, I think Mass Effect 2 was probably my favorite in terms of like weapon variety and all that. I felt like they had the right amount of weapons and mods and stuff, whereas 3 didn't feel as focused. It felt too all over the place. Um, but I did like 
how different all those things felt and also some of the weird restrictions like hey only soldier can use all four weapons whereas like other classes like if you are an infiltrator you can't just run around with a shotgun all the time so i don't know can i I think you are on the opposite end of this from me (laughs) yeah um i get the inclination for people to be like i want you know like if they're gonna remaster these games i would like to play them as they were um i think it is really especially like in the echo chamber of like video game media like where we exist um it is very easy to lose sight of like That's the fair. fucking yeah. average Joe that walks in, sees this game that they've heard a lot about, picks it up. If it, yeah, I don't think like I think when you are like when you maybe like a nostalgia for the game of two thousand seven or what you perceive to be the issue of the other games, um, it becomes very easy to forget that like this is going to be an opportunity for so many people to play these games that never played them, like, never had, even didn't even have an Xbox 360 to play them on. Um, and I think it's, I don't want to get, like, too holier than that, but, like, I think it's, like, very, I don't want to say selfish, but, like, maybe short-sighted is maybe, that's probably what I want to say. No, you're, you're, you're not, I mean, you're not wrong about that. Like, the desire to want to play that game again is selfish, in a way. Like, that's me saying, Oh, I don't want to play. I want to play a better version of this game. I don't want to play this. Like I am thinking selfishly when I say that. I just think like you got to be aware. Like there, there are so many ramifications of somebody playing 2007 Mass Effect again. This is a person yeah. that they often. This is somebody that EA ostensibly wants to get to play a future game. This is somebody that they like. Even in um, Grub's report, like there's a worry that they won't finish. Like, they won't go on to play the other games that they have, you know, yes. done this extensive yeah. work to port if they play that garbage video game from 2007. Um, there is, like... I think, it, like, there needs to be kind of, like, a point where we can step back from something and be like, yes, we understand. Like, the things that we find interesting about the game and, like, the quirks of it, our appreciation for them is very much contextual. Um, and we need to be able to, like, kind of remove ourselves from that and, like, see, objectively, is this game off-putting? Which I uh. think, the more I thought about it, like, I don't think in terms of, like, major tentpole franchises and, like, you know, these the really quote-unquote important AAA games of that generation, I can't think of anything that I think is more judged, like, from, like, from a modern uh, standpoint, more off-putting and just aged more poorly than the majority of Mass Effect 1. Oh, I, I don't know about that one. Can, can you give me an example of something that even remotely like touches like it? a like a game from the 360 era that has aged poorly? That has aged to the point of like actively repulsive. Actively, oh, I don't think Mass Effect One is actively repulsive. I like, absolutely, I, I can't. I again, we are on completely two opposite sides of the spectrum here because I like. I know, like this is this is you know we are we are critical on this podcast, but like I, I think the like and like I I for some like and to kind of like, uh, fill the void in my soul right now for these remasters. I, I've been going back and listening to, um, our our old episodes from that, and like we were frustrated with that game. We were like very much done with it by the time we got to the end. Um, yeah, I I mean I think it's fair because like we were also the same way with Dragon Age Origins, like. That's yeah, and that game. That game also sucks. Yeah, but I think 
the ways in which Mass Effect 1 has aged is just a little bit more in terms of like that system is old that engine is old even by Mass Effect 2 standards and like it's it comes from an era that was still transitioning into a thing but like Mass Effect 1 in other regards is still highly regarded like the story itself and the characters itself are still very highly regarded and I don't think that would change though in this scenario so well no it's I, I think just positioning it as something that that would be like I don't know what I'm getting at is I don't think it's as bad as some other 360 games have aged from that era um but like I'm talking more on like the like the really important like tentpole games of that generation that people might feel inclined to play on name alone like word I mean, of mouth I don't I don't think GTA 4 would feel good by today's standards like if we're just like running down the list but um I mean GTA 4 was a controversial game at the time too so anyways I'd like so the thing I wanted to bring up was that um what this does do is like again if if you want to play Mass Effect 1 as it exists like as it existed I still have a way of doing that you know I can boot up mm-hmm. Origin or Steam I, is it on Steam I know it's on Origin but I think uh, I think everything I put on Steam yeah. um yeah I can boot that up and just play it right now and I think that's kind of maybe the right approach to take there is to just say like well if you want to play that version of the game like that yeah. exists like you you are not going to yeah. have have a problem doing that and so in that way like that's that's why i brought up like me kind of being selfish like no this maybe should be oriented more towards not me if that makes sense but um i guess the flip side of that is i start thinking about what are the things if they start tampering with this if they start saying this needs to be better you know what was the the line from grub's article um this is a problem with both the visuals and the gameplay like mm-hmm. directly the game identifying both of those yeah. yeah i mean the game had issues that modders had to fix and stuff like that right. with like garris having a blurry face for some reason yeah. um but do they start looking at stuff like hey maybe we should have a Caden romance for mass effect mm-hmm. one so that way that thread stays alive through mass effect 2 and then like the mass effect 3 romance doesn't Mm. uh isn't just the sudden start of that and like does that Mm. then change the way that people engage with that and like obviously mass effect 3 is going to have some structural changes to it as well because it means cutting out that entire like uh multiplayer segment where you could earn points for the war table and all that uh now you have to change that but um it just makes me wonder what other parts of that game they decide to revise or change you know i think they should probably do something to be like hey you should go play the cerberus missions in mass effect one because those mm. are actually kind of important in the long run mm. um, maybe we added some lines of dialogue that you know strengthen the connection between one and two so that like the ed thing is a little bit more obvious and all that um it's I'm interested, to say the least, to to mm-hmm. know what this is. And also, like, it did not say this in the report, whether it's been changed, but I, I believe the original plans were for it to come to at least PS4 and Xbox One. Mm-hmm. And, like, I also wonder how different that is with, like, 
you know, next-gen consoles will be out by early 2021. So do you just have a version that runs well on old consoles and runs better on current consoles because like i would be surprised just, if they went that extra so i think cause, I mean, they're backwards compatible anyway like yeah just today we had an xbox preview embargo go go up that showed how backward compatible games like final fantasy 15 and stuff like that really benefit from having a boost on next-gen hardware so playing mass effect with next-gen hardware sounds great i mean it looked really really good playing it on my gaming pc um so i would love to see them do more stuff to add even more of that but i don't know i mean ken i played those games like i've played through them a couple times now we played through them and dissected them in a podcast format and i'm still like weirdly enough feeling nostalgic to play them again yeah. like when i that heard was, that it wasn't yeah. going to be in october anymore i was like oh i was kind of like, looking forward to playing those again yeah and i i because i even felt like um kind of burnout on the series and like that is, that is saying a lot for me like to be like mm-hmm. oh i don't really feel like playing mass effect again even to the point because like after we had finished the andromeda season we were getting to the point where like outlets were writing like game of the decade things and mm-hmm. um I ended up like I was like I'll I'll let somebody else write about Mass Effect. I'm good on that for right now, but like the the idea of being able to play them again, I was just like, oh fuck you, they got me again, and I'll play mm-hmm. through all three of them again, and I'm gonna like you know have like a completionist playthrough that I take screenshots all the time and just uh, yeah, everything. I, mean, I feel like a Mass Effect that just exists in the era of the share button alone yeah. is like a revelation in and of itself. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and if it's and uh, Grub said it's, it's not coming to Switch, but it was also like coming up on um there there were some store listings that said it was coming on Switch, and like I don't know what the the we don't know what the truth of that is at the moment, but yeah, Switch. I I mean, I yes, I would play those if they were on Switch. I would buy a Switch copy, no questions asked. But at the same time, man, some of that stuff in Mass Effect Three could really chug on the 360 and all that so i wonder if then that could maybe get delayed until the the oft rumored new switch hardware Mm. comes around because Mm. like it needs it needs a little oomph (laughs) Mm. some of that stuff like the part on tichanka where you're running under the reaper legs and all that gets really framey and uh could use a little bit of the oomph in that respect but i mean yeah it's still i'd play him god it's sad to think that i would totally play that again on i had the moment where i was like oh yeah well if it comes to bc i'll buy the remaster on pc obviously and i think like one of my coworkers at usg was like don't you already own all three games on pc with like hd mods installed and i yeah. was like yeah they're like isn't that basically what you would be buying and be like yeah but it's the legacy edition man it's the legendary <laughs> edition <laughs> it's different it's different uh i don't know but i mean yeah i do it again what we will do again is have another podcast next week because we are normandy fm a weekly uh bioware retrospective podcast that covers all the wonderful world of bioware uh we have a patreon patreon.com slash fm you can head over and support us and every week uh, we love to shout out the people who support us at a certain 
backers here and this week that is kevin kulikowski chris johns alice hawk colin just colin just reds just zach mickle and the wedge of destiny thank you all so much for contributing if you don't have the cash to contribute just head over to twitter.com slash show hit that follow button you'll be able to see all of our podcasts as they go live as well as all the wonderful shit posts that ken and i put up on the daily uh next week this is a sudden turn of events uh we had a last minute switch up for guests and currently on the schedule right now uh it's fingers crossed it all works out because i i always hate announcing a guest because i just feel like the second we put it into spoken word like something is going to happen and things change but for right now uh next week we will be having the one and only mike williams of you know my fellow colleague at us gamer uh he'll be coming on for our cassandra episode i'm very excited about this uh it's about time we have one of my colleagues on here we've had so many fanbite people on here god mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um I'm not so a we're coward. Gonna... well god <laughs> um we're gonna have mike on he's gonna talk about cassandra we'll talk about dragon age in general you know mike is a fan of the ubisoft open world i'm you know we're going to talk about dragon age but i'm definitely going to be poking him a bit about open world in bioware games too and also how my theory is that assassin's creed odyssey is secretly a lost bioware game i have felt this Mm -hmm. for a long time and it's time to finally bring it up (laughs) for ken for myself for everyone we'll see you next week on norm vfm We have watched and waited 